You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. Welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. Our favorite registered dietitian is back with us. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me back again. It's my pleasure. I know you are a uh, a fan fave and you're just such a wealth of knowledge that I'm really excited to get your insights on today's topic, which is kind of two-part. We're going to be talking all about inflammation and gut health. And really, we wanted to do this episode. I think we we have very similar kind of philosophies and we just get really irked by all of the kind of clickbaity information that's out there where you know, essentially you have these, I don't know, in quote, like professionals who are actively trying to convince people that they have a problem that only this person can solve. And that's not to say that, you know, gut health and inflammation aren't things and aren't, you know, things to to be aware of and, and learn a little bit about, which we're going to do today. But it just really bothers me when I see you know, talk to women who are thinking, oh, my gut health is all out of whack or things like that, where we don't even necessarily know what we mean. We just heard it somewhere and it kind of fits the narrative of, oh, there's something outside of my control that is preventing me from seeing results. I don't really know much about it or know how to change it, but I'm going to kind of go with it. So what we really wanted to do today was just sort of provide some basic information and set the record straight about, you know, what exactly do those things mean? Let's define what we're talking about here. And, you know, are they always good or always bad? What are the signs we should be looking out for that something is wrong? Who do we turn to when we do suspect that there's an issue? And, you know, what do we what do we do? If that's the case, so let's um, just because it's what I have first on my um, on my notes is inflammation. Let's start there. So let's really start with the basics. So what is inflammation, and really like why does it matter? Well, I wanted to make sure I defined it super straightforward. So I actually looked up a definition for this <laughs> um, before I kind of got into the nitty gritty. But basically, inflammation is a process by which our body reacts to foreign invaders. So like a cold or a virus, or even if we like sustain an injury. So maybe a cut on your hand. We then have symptoms such as like a cough, sneeze, GI issues like nausea, vomiting, or even swelling and redness at the site of that injury. And these are all signs that your immune system is working. It's repairing damaged cells or fighting the invaders. So inflammation is definitely important because the process from A to Z is what gets your body back to a healthy, stable state. Okay, that's such a good start. And I feel like hopefully some of you guys listening are like, oh, well, that's not at all what I thought it was. I feel like it's very often presented as this is a bad thing. Having an inflammatory response is bad. And it it just isn't. So I guess kind of from there, Mm -hmm. how do we know if an inflammatory response is appropriate? I think, you know, Mostly we're talking internally because we all know, oh, I have a cut and now it's red and like tender to the touch. That's a good thing. That's part of the healing process. I feel like when it's internal, 
that's when like everything goes out the window and we're just like, uh, I don't know. So <laughs> you, you mentioned kind of how our body responds to foreign invaders. How do we know if we are having an appropriate inflammatory response or one that isn't necessary? Like, are there times that we have inflammation in response to something that isn't actually an invader, but our body thinks it is? Yes. So inflammation can be characterized as either acute or chronic, but then there also can be some genetic conditions. So acute inflammation is basically what we just talked about. It's normal. It's, uh, you know, relatively short lived, a physiologic, physiologic response. It may be last minutes to days. Um, but then I think the inflammation that you're kind of talking about is more of the chronic. So this becomes harmful when it is a prolonged state and it begins to damage your healthy cells, creating something that's called a pro-inflammatory state. And this is typically caused by many years of living an unhealthy lifestyle. So lack of exercise, a high stress environment, high caloric diet, smoking, alcohol abuse, and even the aging process. So this can trigger chronic low levels of inflammation throughout your entire body. And it's typically a slow build. So this doesn't happen overnight, but actually years. And it can actually lead to chronic conditions like cardiovascular disease, fatty liver disease, type 2 diabetes, even certain cancers. So this is another reason why annual doctor visits are so important. And I can't stress this, stress this enough because you can have underlying conditions that you have no idea about. So your doctors will often run some blood tests while you're there just for an annual visit. And you might be in this state of low chronic inflammation, but have no idea or have no symptoms yet. So your doctors will often test for markers of inflammation. So you might have heard of blood tests like ESR, C-reactive protein, ferritin. However, <laughs> this is what gets tricky. These tests only determine if there is inflammation but it does not determine what kind. So if you have a mild cold or you sprained your wrist the day before, these blood tests will come back saying, yes, you have inflammation, but it's maybe from the cold. It's not necessarily chronic. So that's just a little side note. But then, like I mentioned, there's also some genetic deviance that can, you know, kind of mess up your immune system, rheumatoid arthritis, type one diabetes, um, and these can sometimes be managed by medication, but also lifestyle and um, dietary changes as well. Okay, this is so good. So it's reminded me a lot of like stress hormones where yes, in you know if we if we think about cortisol, stress um, a stress response, our, our system is designed to have like these spikes when we have a really stressful situation, you know, life or death thing going on, and then to come back down when that uh, that threat is gone. But a lot of us in modern times end up with chronically elevated um, cortisol because we're just generally stressed all the time. We don't have these short-lived stressors. We have these ongoing ones. So it sounds like this is pretty similar to that, where under nor you know under ideal circumstances, your inflammation would increase as it's needed and then basically decrease, go away when exactly. it's not. And yeah. instead, due to lifestyle factors, potentially diseases and things like that, we just end up inflamed basically all the time, not to a huge degree necessarily, but higher than we want it to be elevated long term. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So, and I think that's a great point. I know a lot of 
a lot of times we go to the doctor and you know we want to test on that we heard about or something, but then we don't necessarily know how to interpret it or what it actually means. So that's a really good insight that a a certain level of inflammation is going to get picked up anyway, even if it's not the chronic kind. Exactly. So yes. If that's yeah. the case, then how would we actually start to make the distinction? Can could a person assume that if they've been living living a relative relatively unhealthy lifestyle for several years that they just probably have chronic inflammation or are there specific signs or symptoms that would suggest it so yes and no so if you come to the doctor with certain symptoms and then they also flag these inflammation markers they will then look into those certain conditions for example if you have a lot of GI issues, they might look, look into Crohn's disease. You know, if you have symptoms of type 1 diabetes, they might then look into that. Or if you're, you know, chronically fatigued, maybe lupus. So it's kind of like an all-in-one. They're not just going to say, oh, you're inflamed. Wow, inflamed. You're not inflamed. So, you're, you're, you know, you automatically have this. So I think first the doctor would kind of rule out any chronic condition um, that would suggest why you are inflamed. And if not, and it's just like a generic feeling of not being well, stiff joints, then you might have that low inflammatory state. Okay. That makes sense. And I feel like that's one of the most frustrating positions to be in where you go to the doctor because you're not feeling great. And there's just kind of this general overall, like just kind of feel off and you get tests run and everything is kind of coming back with a clean bill of health. And you're like, Okay, great. Like, I'm glad it's not those things, but I also still like this doesn't resolve anything. What's actually going on? So it could be caused by something specific, which would then have a um, a course of treatment. But it also, if if those things have been ruled out, then there's still the possibility that there's just chronic inflammation from whatever mm-hmm. lifestyle factors. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So here we are. What can we do about it? If a person is chronically inflamed and doesn't, or I guess we've, let me back up one second. So if someone is suspecting a high level of inflammation and wants to go to the doctor and kind of get the ball rolling with how do we figure out what's going on here? Aside from the specific conditions you mentioned, are there other tests to request or things to ask to make sure that kind of we leave no stone unturned? Not that I came up with my research. Um, Like I mentioned, there's certain inflammatory blood tests that, that they go for. And I think based off that and your other symptoms, that can lead them in the direction. But if not, they might just give you kind of like you mentioned a clean bill of health and maybe other things to kind of change in your lifestyle to see if that will help. Okay, that makes sense. And that is a great segue into the next piece, (laughs) which is, all right, so we don't have anything specific medical going on. We don't have Crohn's or anything like that, but we do have a high level of inflammation. What can we do to reduce it? Is it something that like once it's elevated, you're kind of SOL and the best you can do is not elevate it further? Or are there ways that you can actually reduce it back to normal levels where you can have an acute response, but not chronic? So good news, you can reduce it. But remember, just like I said, this happened over the course of years. So it's not going to change by tomorrow. You have to then take it back to the basics 
and lead the healthiest lifestyle that you can possibly do for yourself at that period of time. And then over time, it will get better. So small changes here and there, like I mentioned, to improve your overall lifestyle, move more. You know, if you typically get 4,000 steps a day, you know, rack it up to 5,000, maybe 6,000. Exercise, sleep hygiene, make sure you're sleeping enough. Recovery, if you are working out and you are a chronic worker outer like I have been in my days, as we age, we, we understand the importance of recovery. So really make sure you take time to recover, you stretch, manage stress. This can be work life, this can be home life, this can be all over the board. Make sure you're managing stress, drink enough water, eat a balanced diet filled with whole foods, try to cook more at home, control the ingredients that are going into your body, stop smoking, limit alcohol. And again, like I mentioned, this will not be a quick fix. Just remember it took years to get to this point and it will take time to heal your body. Um, and like everything, you just got to trust the process. I'm just laughing because I'm thinking about just how much people don't want to hear this. I know. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> hoping that there's, you were going to say like, a you just go to the answer. health food store and you buy the supplement and you take it for a week and it's all better. Um, Nobody wants to hear that it's the big rocks. It's just getting back to, like you said, basics of how do I live a generally healthier lifestyle? All the things that like, I know, I know, I know, but am I actually doing? Um, While we're on the topic, a couple of other episodes that are really tied in with what uh, what Lauren just said, episode 100 um, with Meg about getting out of the habit of overexercising. We talk a lot about the importance of recovery and how it's usually less that you're over-exercising and more that you're under-recovering. So we dive into that there. And then episode 102, Challenging beliefs, Your Beliefs About Stress. That's a book review and has some really actionable tips for managing your stress and learning how to think differently about the stress that you can't actually control. So those are a good place to start on, on those fronts. Um, let's talk about dietary interventions because we see a lot of information out there about anti-inflammatory diets and, you know, avoid these six foods if, you know, whatever, (laughs) um, or are there foods that in and of themselves are, um, will reduce inflammation. So what's kind of the, what's the deal on the nutrition front? So research in this area is extremely new and ongoing. Um, there aren't a ton of definitive yes or no's. So like always, just try to quiet the noise. You started this episode off great. You said there is a lot of misinformation about what to avoid. You'll see, oh, avoid dairy, avoid gluten, avoid certain types of oils. And you just mentioned past episodes. So just like I mentioned in our other episode where we talked about the elimination diet, what works for one person won't work for another So don't start removing food groups left and right. You know, if you see a correlation between a specific food and a specific symptom, then explore it. You know, for example, I had a patient in private practice who was experiencing joint swelling, mostly in her hands and her fingers. And she started a food and symptom journal and she started to put the pieces together. She then started the elimination diet with gluten and her symptoms almost immediately improved. But there is no real anti-inflammatory diet per se. Like I mentioned before, eat a well-balanced diet filled with tons of whole foods. And here are the keys. Limit added sugar. 
This can be sugar like candy, sweet, sweet treats, junk foods, but then also look for the not so obvious. So any added sugar in things like your peanut butter, your spaghetti sauce, your coffee. Um, and before we jumped on, I actually looked up a statistic. I've talked about this a, a lot in like other nutrition related calls. You know, the recommendation for added sugar for women is a max of 25 grams. Most Americans today consume an average of 77 grams per day. Oh my gosh. So that's very eye-opening. <laughs> but um, also limit saturated fat, limit refined carbohydrates. So try to shoot for more like whole grains with fiber and then also limit alcohol. Um, and then foods to include more of, just like I mentioned, think fiber, energy dense nutrients coming from fruits and vegetables, the whole grains legumes, lean meats. So this will kind of help limiting saturated fat is when you choose leaner meats. Um, increase your unsaturated fat sources, avocados, walnuts, chia and flax seeds, nut butters. Um, experience, um, excuse me, experiment with different herbs and spices. Turmeric and ginger have really good effects. And like I mentioned, just cook from home. Be in control of what you eat. Simple as that. Just take it back to the basics. I started this episode talking about what a fan favorite you are, but after this, tell, <laughs> telling everybody you got to stop drinking or you got to cut down on your drinking. Hey, hey, hey. There's, there's no fast drinking. answer here. There are some really good effects for Resveratrol <laughs> and wine. <laughs> I said <But> limit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Definitely don't need to to rule anything out. Um, but th this really is true, guys. There, There is not a... A quick fix to this. And I know it's so frustrating. And especially when, like Lauren was saying, you end up in this position through years of, you know, living one way. And then it's going to take a long time to actually feel noticeably different. And I talk about this in, in a bunch of different episodes, but there is going to be a phase where you have made a lot of these changes that Lauren is suggesting. And you're not feeling a whole lot differently. And that is the most trying time. And that really is the most important time for you to stay committed to your goals and to believe that what you're doing is going to have an impact. Because what we mostly do is change a whole bunch, bunch at once for a little bit of time. Don't feel differently or look differently instantly. Feel like it's not working and I'm making this huge effort. Why bother? We give up. We didn't give it long enough to work in the first place. And then we just rinse and repeat for years on end. So that's what really needs to change is the belief that anything is going to be overnight. Start with these gradual changes. You don't need to make all of them at once, but start with one, add another, add another. And if they don't feel overwhelming and it doesn't feel like your whole life is revolving around these things, it's easier to do them for long enough that then you see that they're working. If you're enjoying this episode, I want to invite you to join us in Foundations. Foundations is our six-week group coaching program designed to help you remove every obstacle standing in between you and the weight loss you're after. Learn how to overcome the overwhelm of getting started, stop buying into BS that only yields short-term results, and learn how to master the big rocks you need to lose the weight and keep it off without sacrificing your quality of life in the process. Whether you want to lose 15 pounds or 150 pounds, we can help you in foundations. For all the info and to join, go to estereevent.com slash foundations. 
So we do have, like Lauren just mentioned, we do have an episode about elimination diets. I'm just trying to find out what number that was um, because Lauren has a ton of great insights there about you know how to go about it and what foods to kind of start with and things like that. That's episode 74. So refer back to that if you are someone considering an elimination diet to figure out you know, is that, uh, is that going to help here? Um, and the other thing I, I noted is that the first thing you said was that the research is new and ongoing. And I feel like that's such a sign of a really credible source resource <laughs> is someone who says like, I'm not going to pretend that I know things that I don't. I'm not going to say that there's evidence for things that there's not. And for those of you listening who you know, haven't gone to school for nutrition and don't know how to read research and things like that. And you're just exposed to people on social media who are making these claims and who are, you know, referencing this study says this and that one says that. This is so important to remember that it's very easy to kind of cherry pick or interpret information in the ways that support your stance, but that overall, there's so much that's unknown. So a red flag is if someone is telling you concretely, this food specifically is causing your inflammation or this food will reduce it or any of those like absolutes. Anybody who is claiming that there is like this rock solid, um, you know, yes, no, good, bad, black and white type thinking is feeding you a crock of shit. So <laughs> yes, preach. <laughs> All right. So I feel like we've covered inflammation pretty well. Is there anything on that front that we haven't covered that you feel like is important before we move to gut health? No, I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty good. Cool. Okay. So gut health. What even is that? When people say gut health, what, <laughs> what, what do they mean? So you're right. We hear the term gut and most people probably assume your stomach, but in actuality, gut health refers to the gut microbiome which is the bacteria, fungi, yeast, and viruses throughout your small and large intestines. So good gut health occurs when you have a balance of what we call the good and the bad bacteria. So that's pretty much a straightforward definition. Okay. If bad bacteria is a thing, is our goal to reduce or eliminate it? Or do we just want that balance where not having the bad bacteria would actually cause its own negative consequences? Yes, correct. You want that balance. It's kind of related to your pH balance. You never want to go too acidic, too alkaline. You always want to find that balance. And there's so much intention and research on our gut health right now that experts are I actually found this so interesting. I dug myself into a hole kind of doing research for this episode. Experts refer to it as your second brain. And I thought that was so cool. So your gut is the foundation of health, pretty much. It aids, I mean, in stuff that we already know, it, it aids in your digestion. It helps, you know, absorb nutrients and it uses the, the fuel to maintain, you know, your energy. But your gut also houses hormonal balance. So if your gut is imbalanced and your immune system isn't working properly, your hormones actually might be impacted, making it more challenging for you to stay healthy. And your gut is also where your body gets a lot of, um, gets rid of a lot of the waste and like toxins. So, you know, however, if you have an unhealthy gut, your body will, will struggle to actually get rid of those toxins. 
And if this occurs, it can actually lead to a lot of different issues. And this is where it kind of coincides with the inflammation. It can lead to chronic fatigue, chronic illnesses. So really, like I mentioned, our two topics are kind of strongly related. So interesting. Um, Going back just a tiny bit, and I think I know the answer based on what you said before, but if the goal is a balance between the good and bad bacteria, we also don't want an excess of the good bacteria, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. So that brings me to pre and probiotics. I see questions about these all the time. Basically, someone just saying, what's a good probiotic? And my very kind of limited experience with them was when I was working with a functional nutritionist. And the way she explained it was that they different probiotics contain different strains of bacteria. And this really aligns with what you're saying that you want a probiotic that contains the strains that you need, not the ones that you already have, you know, a, a good amount of or an, in excess. Um, and that really you don't necessarily want to be just buying a probiotic off the shelf because you don't know if that's going to disrupt your balance. Is that right? Yes, correct. Um, So prebiotics and probiotics are two different things. So prebiotics are actually a type of fiber that supports the growth of the healthy bacteria. And you can actually get it in eating things like artichokes, apples, bananas, when they're really, really green. Don't (laughs) ask me the difference. I guess it depends on ripeness. Um, But then probiotics are what we hear most of. And these are live good bacteria that can maintain or help you get to a healthy, balanced gut. And like you mentioned, there are billions of different strands of these bacteria. So just like with inflammation, the research on these is so new and ongoing, it's almost hard to keep up in like the healthcare industry. Um, So there's two more popular types of bacteria right now that you'll find in supplements. One is lactobacillus and one is bifidobacteria. So just like with anything else, whether or not probiotics or prebiotics work for someone is highly individual. And I will give you a personal example. <laughs> so a couple of years ago, um, I mean, I've mentioned this before. I have IBS, so really bad constipation. So a couple of years ago, I tried it myself. I took a really well-known brand for about two to three months and I had absolutely no change. So I was like, all right, that was kind of a waste of money. But then last year, again, like I've talked about, my son started having chronic diarrhea. It was bloody, mucusy. It was super scary. So we went dairy free about two months into it. It cleared up maybe 60 to 70%, but his doctor still wasn't pleased, of course, because he's still having symptoms. So his doctor recommended the children's probiotic. It's called Culturel. And again, I was highly cautious thinking that it would be a waste of time and money. But honestly, when you're a mom and you moms out there know that, you get desperate. And if something costs $100 for a two-week treatment, you don't care. So you try it. And I did. And let me tell you, (laughs) he's been taking that along with continuing the dairy-free and his condition is 100% managed. It's unbelievable. No diarrhea, no crying with stomach pain. So in his case, I truly believe benefits. That's such a good example. Um, And would you say then that I, I see this conversation a lot with um, like protein supplements that, you know, this didn't agree with me. I tried another brand and that worked fine. Um, it seems like since there are all of these different strands that it's not necessarily 
like a try one once didn't work exactly not for me but more so okay if i really do want to experiment with this it may mean trying different ones for you know a month three months whatever at a time assessing symptoms trying something different it may be some trial and error to figure out what is is best for you exactly and for me personally i didn't give up altogether so the probiotic didn't work but in the end i found out mine was more stress related so I manage my stress and my stomach issues are pretty much managed. That's so interesting. And such a perfect example of, you know, yes, there are supplements like this that can be incredibly beneficial. But I think sometimes they, we like put all our eggs in that basket and then, you know, okay, I tried one probiotic. It didn't do anything for me. Now, you know, I'm just going to throw my hands. I've tried everything. It's like, well, maybe, it, maybe that wasn't actually the issue in the first place. Um, so taking one or even finding one that works for you doesn't necessarily mean none of this other stuff is is relevant. It's likely all interconnected and focusing on on all of them to a, to a degree is going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way... So I think when I was working with that nutritionist, I think we did a stool sample, which was how she was able to make more specific recommendations about my needs. Is Would that be the only way to really hone in if you if you don't want to go through like that trial and error, is would that be the next next way to try to hone in on what would be beneficial? I would for a say person? if if your um if your symptoms are severe enough, then yes, because I remember when my son was going through all this, they did a stool sample, and of course they were checking for all kinds of things: Crohn's, colitis, all these different things that that could be causing his symptoms. But she said, now we're also going to check certain bacteria's see the level of the pH, see if everything is going well in there. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. So yeah, a stool sample would be, you know, if your symptoms are severe enough, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So what would be some signs of a microbiome imbalance? So like I mentioned, you might experience like GI related symptoms. I mean, because think about it, when we think of your gut, your stomach, your intestines, you think of things like gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, acid reflux or heartburn. But like I mentioned, we now know that gut health is related to so many other parts of our body. So some people might just experience things like brain fog, headaches, poor concentration, fatigue, trouble sleeping. Um, so poor gut health can also contribute to chronic inflammation. So after a long period of time, um, so just like I mentioned, it, it can kind of lead to the same chronic conditions. That's so interesting. I want to talk about bloating because literally daily, I see a post from someone saying I get so bloated and like, what do I do? So is there a time that bloating is normal and even good? I wouldn't necessarily label it as good. I mean, your body is responding to digesting some sort of food and that could be a, you know, I don't want to label a food bad or good, but think about how fibrous certain vegetables are. If you were to eat a ton of broccoli or a ton of cauliflower and you think you are doing all the good things for your body, but you're not used to it. And now all of a sudden you switch from left to right and you're eating in overabundance, your body's going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. What is this? So that's probably your body's natural response in that situation. Um, But like chronically, 
um, I would never call it a good thing. That's super helpful. I think it's, I also want to note that your stomach just being bigger after you eat is not the same thing as floating. Oh my gosh. My son, his stomach looks like a big rock and he's so tiny. I'm like, what is going on? But then 30 minutes later, it's gone. Yes. My son does the same thing. As soon as he finishes dinner, he says, you want to feel how hard my tummy is? (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. I think that's an important distinction that uh, I think most of us like really do know the difference between I'm I'm bloated and uncomfortable. And I feel like you could just like stick a pin in my stomach and I would like, like, um, and like, you know, I just had a big meal. Um, but okay. So I feel like a lot of this is coming back to, could be a lot of things there, you know, improving your lifestyle overall is going to help. And likely an elimination diet is going to help pinpoint what are the foods that are causing this response. I actually had exactly what you were talking about with, um, broccoli and cauliflower. I went through, I think it might've been around my wedding where I was like really trying to, to lean out for my wedding and, was you know on a relatively I'm a small person so it was a relatively low calorie diet I was really trying to maximize my food volume which meant I was eating a ton of veggies and a ton of fiber and was just like constantly bloated and uncomfortable and really had to recognize like okay yes too much of a good thing can be a bad thing so um yes. that's something to look out for too so we talked about probiotics as a potential, you know, what can we do about it? But if you are suspecting that there's something sort of off with with your gut, what would kind of the the steps be to addressing it, figuring out what it is and resolving it? Um, so a lot of your listeners might hate me for saying this, but it's the same exact answer. It's taking it back to the basics. It's a little bit more um, in detail. So for gut health, Honestly, number one, it's fiber, increasing fiber. So most Americans are only eating about 40 to 50% of the recommended amount. And like we've talked about a ton on this, on uh, your podcast, women should shoot for 25 grams daily. That means, you know, the average woman might be eating 10 or 11. Um, Proper sleep hygiene, you know, running off of four hours of sleep might feel doable and you can function, but think about what it does to you long-term. It could wreak havoc on your overall health, increase daily activity and exercise. Um, I don't know if, I mean, most people have probably heard this, like if you're constipated, getting moving, walking, like just the act of walking and moving will help your GI tract kind of move a little bit better, reduce stress. And like I mentioned before, that doesn't just mean physical stress or, you know, metabolic stress or psychological stress, but look into things like meditation, journaling, therapy. And just like I mentioned before, stress is a huge contributor to my constipation and my GI issues. But think about if someone were clinically diagnosed with anxiety and depression. A lot of times these conditions coincide with gut health. So that is also something to consider. You know, if you're struggling with anxiety and depression and you know it, don't feel ashamed to get help. Because it will then seep over into other aspects of your life, just like your gut health. Um, Avoid taking certain medications for too long. So, of course, medications have its area and its need. But things like antibiotics or over-the-counter antacids both can affect your pH, which lead to gut imbalance. So, always consult your doctor. You know, if you have an ear infection, of course, take its course for the antibiotic. 
but try not to be on a long term, you know, try to find the root cause of something instead of covering up with these medications that might affect your gut health long term. Um, And then like you already mentioned, the prebiotic and the uh, probiotic. This is so good. I'm just really blown away by how many reasons there are to live a healthy lifestyle. And I think for a lot of women, there's so much emphasis on weight loss and aesthetics and just wanting to look a certain way, be a certain size, have clothing fit a certain way. And it just overshadows all of the other really important benefits to being a healthy and fit person overall that we're, we're really missing the forest for the trees if we're telling ourselves, oh, the reason I should care about what I eat, the reason I should move my body is so I can lose weight or so I can stay my current size. Like, sure, that's a piece of it, but there are so many other pieces to it. And it's all so interconnected. And I think we don't really realize it until we get to a certain age. You know, when we're younger, it's all about what we look like. But then shoot, I'm 33. That's not old. But I'm finally like, okay, I understand this now. It's not about my weight. It's not about how I look. But, you know, I need to think about how I feel and how long I live. Um, so, totally. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I've, I've been thinking similarly. I'm 36 and have, you know, recently started doing yoga, like not because like yoga is a cool thing to do and I want to be able to say I'm a yogi, but because it really helps with my, with my back pain. And oh my gosh, yes. That's what drives me now is like, how do I be as, you know, as pain free as possible? How do I set myself up so that this has been a a big shift recently is to like kind of check my ego with workouts and remind myself like the goal is not for you to go balls to the wall in this workout and, you know, set a PR or, you know, be as fast as possible or hopping and puffing or whatever. If it's going to make something worse or put you in a position where you can't exercise the next few days or next few weeks, the goal is to continue putting myself in positions where I can exercise another day and where in 30, 40, 50 years, I'm still able to move and be independent and things like that. So that's not to say you, you can't or shouldn't or, you know, don't need to have weight loss related goals or even aesthetic goals. There's nothing wrong with that, but it really is just one of many pieces. And I think when you have like this laundry list of, okay, so this is going to help manage inflammation. It's going to help with my gut health. It's when you just start laying out all the reasons that paying attention to your exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle are going to benefit you. It just becomes such a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the last thing I think I wanted to say was about fiber because you mentioned it a few times. And um, this is something if you've worked with us, you know this. And if you've been around here long enough, you've probably picked up on it, but we focus a lot on fiber in our coaching programs. I consider it kind of the final frontier because first, generally we help people get their calories squared away with like, are you eating the right amount for your goals and for your lifestyle? Once you're doing that, let's start prioritizing protein and getting you in a position where you're feeling more satiated, where you're able to build or retain muscle. And then once those two are dialed in, the third and kind of final thing we pay attention to is your fiber. And I think of all things, the most most women would say eating enough protein is hard. I think it's because most people dismiss fiber overall and just be like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that would be nice, but also like, eh, I don't know how to do it. So never mind. Fiber is so important for all of the reasons you've just given. But I think it does sort of warrant the biggest 
nutrition changes because it's really, really hard to do if you're eating very many processed, packaged, kind of hyperpalatable foods to hit the recommended fiber kind of range or allotment. It has to be very intentional. And I think most people are not yet in a position where they're able or willing to be that intentional about it. Um, but based on everything you just said, it's so worth it. So if you're someone who's kind of dragged your feet and been like, yeah, 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 fiber like helps you poop and like whatever, yeah. this is part of why it's it's so important. It really has a role in in so many different things that are great for not only is it going to help you feel satisfied, which is then going to um, help you be in a deficit and things like that, but for your overall health. And that's oh, something yeah. that I think we're both adamant about, which is like you're you know losing weight and being healthy are not synonymous, but they also don't need to be mutually exclusive. And there are a few things exactly that you touched on that kind of they're they're the center of the Venn diagram where they will help you on both fronts. And fiber is like smack dab in the middle there. Yeah, um, it's it like like in some instances it all it almost reigns as king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess like this, we didn't talk about this, um, but um, let's just kind of wrap with with a few fiber tips. Um, so what I've seen overwhelmingly, I've looked at like thousands of food logs is exactly what you said. Probably most people are in like the 10 to 14 grams per day range. And mm-hmm. ideally we want to be 25-ish. So what are a couple of kind of your your go-to fiber tips for someone who has not yet made it a priority, but now that we've been raving about it is wanting to start? So number one, you know, just like with anything, if you're increasing fiber, take it slow. <laughs> that was, that was hoping that would be your first one. <laughs> because if you're used to getting that 10 to 14 range, and then all of a sudden the next day you hit 30, if you want to talk about being uncomfortable and bloated and maybe even constipated, then that's how to do it. So again, your body has to become acclimated with your new goals. So if you're getting 14 grams, shoot for 17, do that for like a week and then slowly move up to 20 and then so forth. Um, But my two recommendations for the highest protein, I was about to say protein, Mm -hmm. highest fiber um, foods is avocado and raspberries. Honestly, just grab a handful of those do like a fourth of an avocado on top of a salad or something and boom. I mean, not a lot of people realize how high in fiber avocado is. It's very surprising. So yeah. It really is. That's that's it's one of those like, I don't want to say a perfect food, but it's really up there. It's got a lot of stuff going for it. That's yes. funny. Those are my those are my top two as well. I do half an avocado on my eggs in the morning and then I do raspberries and my Greek yogurt. And those two things alone get me to like 15-ish grams. And then mm-hmm. I eat a lot of other you know, fruits and veggies, whole grains throughout the day. And it kind of trickles in from those. So it's totally doable. It just requires intention. And we've talked before about you know the benefits of planning ahead and things like that. This is one of them that you are not going to accidentally find yourself eating an optimal amount of fiber from natural food sources unless you're intentional about it, unless you know what foods are high in fiber, unless you buy those things, unless you have them in a... Um, a format where they are easy for you to actually incorporate into your day, it's not just going to happen to you. Um, so final question then is fiber supplements. Would you recommend that? Is it just as good as eating food, you know, eating fiber from fiber from food? Um, should a person add that to what they're already eating? What are your thoughts? Um, for short-term issues, 
Yes. So I always bring up my son because he's just the easiest scapegoat. But he actually started a fiber supplement too when all of this was going down. And when his symptoms became manageable and fine, I actually discontinued that. Because if he was okay with the dairy-free and the uh, probiotic, then he didn't necessarily need the fiber anymore. But if in the moment you're super constipated or you're, you have diarrhea, then yes, fiber supplements might help bulk up your stool, but it's not as good. You know, if you're not having any of those symptoms, you're just trying to increase your daily fiber intake. It's always going to be more beneficial to get it from food sources because you're not only getting the fiber from those foods, you're getting the vitamins and minerals and nutrients. Um, so I, I would say short term, yes, it's okay. But like long term, no, I don't want you to take a fiber supplement every single day the rest of your life. I love that answer. And sorry, guys, there just isn't an easy button where you can swing by CVS on the way home and solve your fiber issues. That's exactly how I think of supplements also is like more like a stopgap where ultimately, I don't want to be reliant or dependent on this thing long term. But right now, if I have realized a need for something and I'm working on getting myself to a point where I can get that thing from food sources. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. But in the meantime, that might sort of help you bridge that gap. The same way I feel about protein powders. Like, yeah, they're helpful. We always have some in the cabinet, but I don't want to be getting a a good chunk of my protein from a supplement for the reasons you just listed. Like there are so many benefits to getting the additional vitamins, minerals, all that sort of stuff, the 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 volume and satiety from an actual food source. So Awesome answer there. We have covered so much ground. I hope you guys listening just have like (laughs) had your minds blown because Lauren, you have just been a wealth of knowledge. And I feel like this has surely cleared up a lot of confusion or misconceptions or just a lack of lack of knowledge in the first place about these things. And you guys, as a result, are going to be so much better informed consumers. You're going to be able to better advocate for yourselves with your doctors and Hopefully, it has helped hammer home the reasons to improve your lifestyle, to manage your stress, to eat well, to move your body um, beyond the, the weight loss. So Lauren, thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys for being here. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Live Diet Free Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to them all, I appreciate you being here. One way you can help this podcast succeed is to subscribe, rate, and review it. If you don't mind doing those things, I would love to thank you with a copy of our weekend survival guide designed to help you have weekends you enjoy that don't set you back from reaching your goals. Just send a screenshot of your review to admin at estheravant.com and we'll send it over. And don't forget to check out estheravant.com slash foundations for all the info about our six-week group coaching program, Foundations, designed to help you remove every obstacle standing in between you and the weight loss you've been after.